Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. I don't have much housekeeping today, so we're going to get straight into today's episode, which is about mining in California during the gold rush. Let's get started. You've likely heard the phrase, I've hit the mother load at some point in your life. I know I've said it at least more than once. Phrases like that become reduced to their general point, but then become devoid of their actual meaning, and we lose the generative force of the phrase. They become tired turns of communication without any roots. They are like an uprooted tree, like a paper tiger. We can categorize them, but the significance disappears as the phrase loses its original meaning and is overused. One of my favorite activities is mining for meaning. I like the process of unpacking words to find their historical origin. Mining for meaning is not an easy process per se, but it has a way of opening up doors to new visions of tired concepts. Those people that I love that do it well, historians, writers of fiction, poets, and artists, they have a way of opening up new worlds when they take reused concepts and make them new. They can take something mundane like a phrase, mother load, and give it life and vitality. We'll talk about mother loads more and more over these next few episodes, but suffice it to say it is related to gold deposits in the sides of hills and mountains in the Sierra Nevadas. And one of the interesting things that I discovered while researching this episode is that hitting a mother load did not necessarily equate to easy money. In fact, hitting a mother load often meant the beginning of a process of getting rich because these mother loads often involved enormous capital, heavy mining and labor, and patience. However, before we go any further, we need to refresh ourselves on some aspects of gold and what gold is. There's a lot of speculation about why gold exists on Earth's surface. It is certainly present deep at Earth's core because when the Earth was formed, iron sank to the center and brought with it most of the precious metals that we have. So most of them are, in fact, trapped in the core. There's speculation, quite a bit of it, as to why gold exists closer to the surface. And one of the most interesting forms of speculation around this topic is that gold was brought to the earth by a cataclysmic meteor shower. And while I'm not equipped to judge the research behind this theory, I think it is clear that gold came from somewhere else, which I guess is true of most things. Gold in itself is incredibly dense and is twice as heavy as iron, for example. But gold also happens to be one of the most malleable metals that exists. For example, you could actually take a hammer and hammer out one gram of gold into one square meter of gold plating. It's likely the combo of malleability and the luster, of course, that caused gold to become one of the most important metals and forms of currency. Gold is also quite conductive, but is also resistant to many acids, bases, and, of course, oxygen. 
Even though we value gold as a precious commodity, gold actually exists in small quantities almost everywhere. However, these quantities are so small that it makes it uneconomical to mine them. You need concentrations. You need large deposits. And those areas, of course, are rare. Without getting into too much detail here, as I am neither a scientist nor geologist, let's look briefly at what we know about how gold got to the Sierra Nevadas in the first place. Roughly 400 million years ago, the Pacific shoreline did not run along the coast of present-day California. Santa Barbara did not exist yet. The California coast as we know it was underwater. The shoreline actually started in present-day Utah and Arizona. However, there were islands along the present-day coast of California. These islands were slowly and methodically pulled into contact with the former coast of the Pacific in Utah by tectonic plates, uh, a concept you may have learned about in science classes. The resulting collisions that included scraping material from the seafloor led to the formations of the mother loads or concentrations of gold that were central to the gold rush. Now, fast forward 200 million years, there were massive shifts going on on Earth's crust, which pushed plates further toward the core, causing those plates to heat up. The resulting masses of magma created the mountain ranges that extend from the Cascades all the way down to the Andes in South America. This is the geological event that led to the creation of the Sierra Nevada Mountains. Through these various geological processes that I am neither equipped nor have the time to understand the minutia of, denser metals like gold accumulated on the western edges of the Sierra Nevadas. And now we'll transition to talking about extraction. And there are many types of extraction. We're going to start with the most basic, but also the most arduous type of extraction, which is placer mining. The word itself refers to the sediment accumulated at the base of a lake or river. The sediment that we feel when we wade barefoot through a stream, lake, or river is what placer refers to. The process of placer mining is essentially the process of sorting through and extracting material from the sediment. The gold to be found through this type of mining was available made available through erosion, through the gradual process of freeing gold over time by the constant flow of water. Gold could also be found in ancient stream beds, in other words, where water used to flow. The kinds of canyons where water carved out veins in the land are what these ancient stream beds look like. Placer mining required a tremendous amount of manual labor and often used water as a means of extraction so that most placer extraction sites were generally located near water sources. Many kinds of interesting tools were used in placer mining. Obviously, the most famous is the pan. Miners would place some sediment in a pan with water and swirl it around and around, hoping that the heavier metals left behind would turn out to be gold or something valuable. When we watch movies, we often see miners with pans swirling around water and sediment. One of my favorite scenes of this is the uh, section of the anthology movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, where a gold prospector goes to find gold along a river in an idyllic valley. That particular section of the famous 
Ballad of Buster Scruggs is called All Gold Canyon, and I recommend you watch it. It really captures this type of mining, but it can be seen in other films as well. Most films that cover this period uh, typically give you a picture of this um, more primitive form of placer mining. The next kind of tool was called a rocker or cradle. This was a substantially more sophisticated tool that had a mechanism similar to a child's cradle. Like panning, the miner would place water and sediment in a hopper at the top of the cradle. The miner would then rock it back and forth. The material would drop through the hopper onto an apron below that. And as the material filtered through the apron and the shaft, heavier and larger pieces would get caught along ridges that, act, that ran along the slide part of the cradle. I recommend looking up a picture of this to really uh, get a visual. This tool was much larger than a pan, but it was still transportable and not heavy by any means. A similar type tool that was used was called a long tom. And by simple here, I mean really simple. Essentially, the tool was a rocking device that could be as long as 20 feet or as short as 8 feet. Miners would pour minerals and water into it and rock it back and forth, kind of like a seesaw. As with the other tools, the purpose was simply to separate the heavier material from the lighter material. The benefit of the long tom is, of course, the size. You can separate a lot more material a lot quicker with a larger device. But of course, if you have a larger device, that requires a larger team of workers to operate it. Then we have something called a sluice box. The sluice box sought to utilize the work of the stream and put it to work for the miners. The miners utilized the propulsive force that the stream had by directing the stream through this box that had ridges built along the path through the box similar to the ridges in the rocker. Heavier material would accumulate along these ridges that the miners could then sort through. Beyond these contraptions, miners also regularly used manual tools like picks and shovels to try and stir, sift through, or extract material from the streams and riverbeds. The previously mentioned contraptions like sluice boxes would get more and more elaborate, including using proto hydraulic methods and using forms of pumps to push more water. Many of these techniques have been tried and tested through gold rushes that we've discussed in previous episodes about other gold rushes in the United States. You can also see logically how the innovation and iteration ladder with all these extraction methods, they all had the same basic principle guiding them, the utilization of water and various means of separating lighter and heavier materials from each other. Some of them were more complicated versions um, that would require more capital in order to implement. And when things require more capital, that's when moneyed interests and investors get involved. The low-hanging fruit phase of the California gold rush would eventually come to an end, and actually quite quickly, which would then bring in these larger moneyed interests. The next form of mining is a form of mining done by these larger moneyed interests, which is called hydraulic mining. Gold miners realized fairly quickly that there were larger gold deposits in the ancient rivers, the rivers that had gone dry. These rivers were millions of years old and developed huge and richer placer deposits. 
Oftentimes, though, as rivers had eventually changed directions or were covered up, the level of extraction and removal required more advanced tools. In many ways, hydraulic mining was simply an improvement to the previous processes of placer mining. Unfortunately, this form of mining would also have tremendous impacts on the environment, scarring the earth, creating elaborate canal systems, and spraying debris across canyons and through mountain ravines. Essentially, hydraulic mining was just the process of using pressurized water in ancient river basins and then redirecting that water through sluice boxes that we've discussed before to extract the heavier minerals and hopefully gold. Sometimes the mining companies, and we will use the term companies when talking about hydraulic mining, because at this point, the capital constraints ultimately led to the creation of companies with hired labor, diversification, etc. Anyway, from time to time, they would use water canyon cannons that were large. These cannons were often referred to as giants, as their purpose was to remove waste to access the more valuable resources that lay underneath. Another less common type of mining, but a kind that did occur in later stages of the mining process, was called drift mining. Drift mining is when miners tunnel horizontally into a hillside, following a sign along that hillside that there could be gold underneath, essentially following that line into the hill or mountainside. They would punch into the hillside and pull materials out for processing. This was a more dangerous type of mining given the instability that comes with cemented gravels, which is what they were digging through on the hillsides. This type of mining was used more commonly in the Klondike Gold Rush, but was also used in California. I hope as I'm going through these that you are understanding the degree of complexity that emerged as gold became harder to extract. The next type of mining is called dredging. And this is really the last major type of placer mining that we will cover. Dredging is simply the underwater ex excavation of minerals and then the sifting of larger and heavier minerals from that dredged material from the river. Like many of the mining techniques used during this time, dredging did untold damage to the environment and the waterways. It also employed a high level of mechanization. Dredging would also be used later in California history to make certain waterways more accessible. At a certain point during the process of placer mining, miners realized that gold was extant in veins of quartz in mountains and hillsides. The mining for quartz to find gold as its larger end changed the game completely because it required a high degree of engineering to accomplish. Miners would need to build structures above and below ground, they would also need tools like arrastas, which is a type of mill that came over with the Spanish to the New World, resembling a uh, grain mill uh, or other kinds of tools uh, that could grind up quartz and extract the gold from it. There was also likely a chemical stage as well to purify the gold from the crushed minerals that it adhered to. The deeper they dug in these mines, the more they needed professional expertise to help them manage the challenges of running these operations and knowing how and where to dig. It was also a complicated enterprise operating these mines and is far from our picture of the world of a 49er sitting on the edge of a creek with a pan. Like many historical moments, we tend to latch onto one image or one concept and use that as our image to color an entire epoch in history. I think that it is some degree human nature to do this. 
Occam's razor is that famous concept that the simplest explanation tends to be the most accurate. I don't think there is a less helpful concept, unfortunately, in trying to understand the past than that explanatory model. The more you look at history, actually the more inscrutable and complicated things tend to become. One area where there is a fair amount of uniformity in opinion, though, is around the agreement about the environmental disaster that the gold rush was for California. One historian has described people saying that it appeared California had been dug up by some very large and invasive moles. There are many ways to talk about the environmental disaster. Obviously, the hydraulic mining that was used to remove the debris was a problem. Then there is the other and less talked about environmental situation that pitted two major stakeholders in California against one another, mining and agriculture. The process of dredging streams ultimately led to things like silt, but also mercury that was used to extract gold to flow downstream into the water sources that were necessary for agriculture in the Central Valley. But it wasn't until the mid-1870s when the government of California realized that agriculture was ultimately, in the end, going to become more profitable, that they decided to outlaw hydraulic mining and severely limit the amount of dredging that could take place upstream from these agricultural interests. There were other major externalities that resulted from mining techniques. One of my favorites to talk about, mainly just because I like to say the name, is called the Slickens. The Slickens was when heavy rains loosened snowdrifts on the side of mountains, causing some levees at Marysville to be overwhelmed and flood over. And Marysville, for context, is just northeast of Yuba City. This created a massive mudslide situation bearing farms, fruit trees, homes, cattle, and more and more things under hardened silt and sand. In addition to the polluted rivers, farmers also saw flooding as another major problem that resulted from what the mining interests were doing in the mountains. As you can see, the story of the gold rush is a complicated one, and we will continue to talk about miners and mining on future episodes. On the next episode, we have an interesting conversation with a wonderful historian from San Diego, and we're going to dip back into the pre-U.S. period in Alta, California, before returning again to the gold rush after. Until next time.